0: for the late start and technical difficulties tonight. So this is Chandrea and we have a few cast members out tonight. So tonight you will be hearing from myself and Norvell. I'm here, I'm here. All right. So tonight our topic is going to be millennials and the economy. And to be perfectly honest with you all, I don't really know much about the economy, as it seems from my research, most millennials don't, because it seems as if we've Been sort of priced out of this economy. And although we've had lots of things blamed on our generation, such as the death of golf and department stores and grocery stores and things like that, according to an article from The Atlantic, it it shows that millennials didn't kill the economy. The economy killed millennials by making things unaffordable for us. And although our unemployment rates right now are at a low of, at in December of 2018, there was a low of 3.7% nationwide. A lot of those jobs are minimum wage jobs, part-time jobs, and individuals having to work multiple jobs just to try to make ends meet. So that's my knowledge of the economy. I don't know what a good economy looks like based upon just the access that I've had in life. And big wigs and politicians and CEOs, while they are celebrating, you know what great stocks look like and what the G- the GDP being stable for a while. What does that really look like for us, Norvell? What do you think?
1: I think you you kind of hit the the nail on the head with that because I don't think millennials as a whole uh, are too in tune with economics. And then there are certain groups of millennials, uh, speaking for myself, that, you know, growing up weren't really impacted, you know, by the big swings in the economy. Uh, Speaking from my perspective, my environment has been the exact same from an economic standpoint, you know, uh, since I was younger. As I've I've gotten older and started learning uh, more financial literacy and uh, how to build wealth, you know, I've started to become more in tune with, that, with economics, but, you know, I can't say the same for a lot of my peers, you know, back where I'm from in uh, Detroit, Michigan, where, you know, they're still in a, a severe state of uh, poverty in the ghetto. So I think it, it pretty much depends on, on who you're talking to, to say whether, you know, their they're impacted by the economy or not.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, here in Little Rock, most of the people my age, and I'm in my late 20s. If you didn't have connections when you were in college, or if your family wasn't like in good social networks where you know you you were connected to doctors and lawyers, or you had opportunities for internships, more than likely you were part of like what they call now the gig economy. So you're doing things like bike squad or Uber, like just whatever side gigs you can get because. The jobs that are available are minimum wage jobs or low wage jobs. So even though, yeah, we have this low unemployment rate, we're still underemployed. We don't get the hours that we need for that small wage to cover the bills that we have. Another thing that the article in the Atlantic pointed out is that it's not that we have different preferences of the generations that came before us. So they'll say like we aren't buying houses as much as the as much as the previous generations or we aren't buying cars as much as previous generations but housing has increased four times what it was in 1988 without wages increasing to match and if you look at the the car sales of 2018 they were the same as they were back in 2005 when we were at our height in, like, the economy and everybody was buying cars. But it, it was never millennials buying cars. It was never us. We couldn't afford them. But older people now who are getting their pensions and updating their cars, they're buying – they went from buying one-third of the cars now in the industry to two-thirds. So while their wealth has continued to increase, And while they were able to have more control over their assets and the wealth that they were accumulating, that didn't really trickle down to us.
1: Yeah, I can definitely feel that as well. Um, I guess we're kind of excluded from from those things just based on, you know, what you were saying and what you read in the article. Um, I can definitely say that personally. Um, And I can't say that I don't feel – I guess, uh, a burden because I I was left out of those types of things from a millennial standpoint, because when it comes to, like, having assets, I'm trying to be a lot smarter with my money. So, like you mentioned, buying cars. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's one of the most idiotic things to to lease a vehicle or or finance a vehicle. I just feel like you're just Mm -hmm. helping that gap of making the rich richer and, and, and the poor poorer, you know. I think uh In years to come, there won't be a middle class. There's just gonna be uh the super rich, the uber rich, and then the the ghettos the very very poor because that i guess that stretch or that gap is getting larger and larger you know as as the mm-hmm. years go on and I don't see it getting any better um I think millennials uh should start i guess financially educating themselves so that they're not you know struck as hard you know uh by these things because I think. It's like a double-edged sword. We have the ability to, you know, um, make a change and, I guess, impact our finances in a positive way, but we have to go about it the right the right way. I think baby boomers and a lot of people, you know, older than us kind of have that American dream mentality where, you know, hey, I want to get married and, you know, buy a house and, you know, get a fancy mm-hmm. car and, you know, kind of their finances match, you know, their bills. So they get more mm-hmm. money and they go and they buy a bigger house and a nicer car and they're upgrading. Like you were saying, you read in that article, but, you know, that's that's not really financially smart because, you know, if you're spending just as much money uh, as you're making, you're, you're still living check to check. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense altogether. So I feel like millennials have the opportunity to kind of slide in and uh, really build some some uh, generational wealth that, you know, we can pass on to the next generation so that they, they don't feel it's left out. As, as right. we've
0: been oh, I definitely agree with that That's one thing that I'm trying to learn For myself so that my daughter Doesn't have to grow up In similar circle, or not even grow up But enter into adulthood Into the similar Circumstances that I had to And the conversation that I've had With my friends like my predominantly african-american friends we talked about how when we were younger a lot of our parents were doing exactly what you said living check to check and it wasn't necessarily that they were trying to live above their means but like you know like with housing and everything sometimes you're priced out of like good housing options so if you you make two or three dollars over a certain income or you don't afford low-rent housing you have to pay all this extra money for somewhere to live. And so we grew up in a culture where our parents were in strict survival mode. So they didn't teach us anything about financial literacy or, you know, how to accumulate out assets and passive income and things like that. And so entering into adulthood was like a culture shock for me because I was not prepared bills and taxes and how do you put together a savings account, what's a Roth IRA, like all these things that generations prior to us, they had to know about because those were readily accessible to them. They had better economic opportunities. And we did not have parents who were able to set us up on a path to be financially literate and so now that I have my own daughter, and I'm trying to find ways to educate her and teach her from a young age, like, okay, here's how money works. You got $100 for Christmas? Okay, let's spend this in a, in a smart way. Let me show you how hard it is to come buy money. Let me show you the prices of things. Let me teach you that taxes are going to come out of things. I'm trying to start early with her. But there's still so much that even I don't know just because I wasn't given that foundation. So what are some things that you would say that you've done? Because it sounds like, you know, you've been at this for a while. <laughs> like you've got your financial head on your shoulders and you, you know, like, practical spending habits that would lead to, you know, a comfortable lifestyle. So what, what are some things that you have or would suggest?
1: So, you know, to be honest, I've I've come from humble beginnings as well, and I've definitely learned from my mistakes. It, it's definitely been trial and error. But to be honest, I, I'm always, you know, uh, seeking out wisdom. You know, uh, I am always have a book, you know, and a lot of it is just this type of financial education that I guess we're trying to seek as, as millennials for the generation after us and our children is not just going to be given. Like you have to go out and, you know, somewhat take it you, know, mm-hmm. you have to be thirsty for that type of knowledge because you know if it was that easy to obtain then you know everybody would be rich but that's just not how you know society is set up so um some things that I've done is just research 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 um mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm always trying to uh take on a mentor you know uh I'm always trying to talk to someone who's you know been down the road that I've been um because my parents you know did not teach me a lot of that financial literacy, like you were saying, you know, if they were in strict, you know, survival mode, like like you were talking about. And uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they didn't really have the ability to, you know, pass on things to me, you know. And I think uh, when I really started thinking about uh, generational wealth is when I started seeking out that knowledge. Um, and I would say, like, it's, it's about delayed gratification and really disciplining mm-hmm. yourself to be able to, you know, forego the gratification of spending money on this thing so that you can enjoy something much better later on because it takes a lot of discipline. Um, it's it's easy for you to, you know, get a, a bigger a raise or something at work and then you want to go out and, and get a car note. But, you know, you don't really look at how much that car is going to cost when you finance it you may have got mm-hmm. it off a lot for you know twenty grand, but once you're done paying it off, it's going to be forty. But in five years, somebody's made twenty thousand dollars off you, and you just didn't notice it. You know, you just just cashing it out. So you have to really start thinking about where your money is going, and not really taking more liabilities, but but trying to get assets. That's why I said, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not really, and I, I'm not a homeowner right now, but I'm not really uh, jumping at the bit to buy a home, a single family home. Because uh, that's just another bill, if you think about it. If if you get a mortgage and uh, you buy a home, it's, it's not really making you any money.
2: We have mm-hmm. to figure
1: out how to make our money work for us. And if you uh, get a, a single-family home, you're just living in it. You're just paying rent in, in a different domicile. And uh, you're still paying the bank to finance that home, and somebody is still making money off of you. But you have to figure out how to use that as a benefit. So an example would be buying a multifamily home, a duplex instead of a a single-family home, and then you can live in one and rent out the other. But now this other duplex is, or this other side of your duplex is now flowing cash. and Now you're making money. It's not an asset. Mm-hmm. And then you can buy another home, and then now that's, you know, you're, you're getting money from rent from that home. So it's, it's so many ways, but you just have to get down to the science of, or the basic essence of not spending money but figuring out how to make your money work for you. Um, I think where I started was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Have you ever read that book?
0: I haven't, but I've heard a lot about it. I've heard good things about it.
1: That's like the basis, I would say, like the starting point for all, like, financial literacy. That's that's where I started. I, I read it years ago. And everything in the book mm-hmm. didn't stick, but what I did take from it was that you have to figure out how to make your money work for you and look at every purchase that you make as, you know, how is how is this dollar I'm spending working for me? And when it comes to making big purchases like cars, you know, uh, homes, those types of things, you really have to be careful. But I, I would say, you know, a suggestion would be starting with
0: Rich Dad for Dad for sure. Okay, I'm definitely going to check that out. And I love your idea of, like, buying... Thinking multi-family or buying a duplex or something like that instead of moving straight into a single-family home and just hoping that I don't know maybe you make enough money to move out and rent that out one day. But I I've I always thought like real estate like investing in that type of not to sell like for because the housing market fluctuates entirely too much. But as far as like being able to to provide affordable housing to other people who, you know, are also struggling to pay a third of their income towards rent when they have lots of other expenses. So not I've always thought about not just being able to just make money not for myself, but how can I do that and also provide an opportunity to another family to become home owners or like to save money or just to have someplace safe to live or a good school district to live in. So I really love that idea, and I, I've never even thought about that. So thank you for that.
2: <laughs> oh, no worries. Another, no worries.
0: Another thing I wanted or that I saw in the article was they were talking about how um, when the boomers were going to school and the generation after the boomers, college was a lot more affordable then. And now 50% of, or was it 50%? At least 50% of students now graduate with student loan debt, and the debt that they have is 40% higher than the debt that our predecessors have had. And so thinking about this, so college has gotten more expensive, and then the fact that now just because you have a college degree, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get a job. So you've gotten all these $1,000 in debt, and you still have to get a job as like a sales associate or something. So you can't even pay back the money that you own. And just thinking, seeing that and thinking about that, like it—it it all has just felt like such a trap. And I know you said you don't feel bad or like you don't feel burdened. I don't feel burdened. But I'm, like I'm I'm upset because they blame our generation for so much and say how we're so lazy but yet they have shifted the goalpost so far from where it was when they were able to achieve all those things. So how do you feel about having to go to college in a kid world well, Accumulate that or not, you still have to pay thousands of dollars to go to college. But risking the chance of never getting a salary to make that kind of money, because you still need the experience outside of school too. So, what what do you think about that?
1: So, just to be frank, I I feel like the educational system is a business. It is, and it's. Mm. I, I hate I hate to say it, but you know, there's a lot of people that behind the uh, disguise that they're all about education, but um, a lot of people are making a lot of money, you know, off the educational systems, and it shouldn't be that way, Um, and that's why a lot of people are in debt, and they stay in debt, because the jobs aren't there, first off, you know, even if you have a Mm job degree, like you said, jobs aren't there. I feel like if somebody has a job, they should be counting their blessings, you know, that's that's paying enough money for them to, you know, pay back their loans and really live comfortable. Um, that's a blessing because the jobs aren't there. And a lot of people stay in debt and they, they carry that debt. Um, And it's designed so that you carry that principal interest, you know, well into mm-hmm. the life of your loan 30, 40 years later. So it's, you know, most of us aren't going to live until we're 100, you know, so. Most of our right. Back student loans unless you have found a way to, you know, lump up large sums of money and pay off that debt. It's just somebody behind the scenes making a lot of money. So I always tell people that uh, when you're thinking about school, school is an investment. It's an investment mm-hmm. in, in yourself. And you should think of, you know, your education as an investment, just like you investing in real estate or investing in stock and but the only difference is that, you know, kind of you hold the keys. And I know mm-hmm. I'm saying that from the perspective of there's a lot of people that go to school and, you know, don't go to class or they skip, you know, or, you know, they graduate with C averages and they wonder why, hey, I can't get a job, you know. It's hard enough to compete if you have a 4.0. So if you have a C mm-hmm. average, you know, you're, you're just making it even harder on yourself. So I can't say that it's it's 100% the system, but, you know, um, there are some other issues in there where you know we have to kind of take responsibility of our education as an investment. Um, I always tell people, school isn't for everyone. I know people that uh, are well off and do not have a college education because you know, if you really want to seek knowledge, you can you can seek it. You know, um, I have mm-hmm. a degree, but you know, the things that I've learned about theology and you know. Uh, Building generational wealth and black history you know I've learned the bulk of that uh, after I had already graduated from college the school mm-hmm. system is, is is not designed to teach you you know uh, the, the the keys to life it's It's just like a, a degree in whatever that that I guess uh, field of study is but there's so much more to life that can you know have a millennial or, or you know the generation younger than us a uh, well- off as long as you, you know, kinda of learn those keys and principles to financial literacy. But I definitely don't push education to everyone because I know too many friends and, and colleagues that, you know, work regular jobs that you, you didn't have to go to school to get that job and you know, they have college degrees and, and student loans to pay back.
2: Wow.
0: <laughs> All that hard work to still not to still have to work a job that you don't need a degree to work. <laughs> And then not to mention the jobs that you'll be overqualified for because you have that degree. (laughs) But um, I think we are coming up on time for a commercial break.
3: You're listening to The CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong. The CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are a strong advocate for life empowerment like empowering a generation that has been grossly misunderstood and disparaged to shatter the misconceptions about them. No Sleep was created to give millennials a platform to express themselves and let the world know who they really are and what they believe, their values, interests, fears, and more. This is a diverse group, gender-wise and racially, that we are very, very proud of. We invite you to tune in, whether you are a millennial or not, and learn from these outstanding young people. Listen every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 7 o'clock p.m. Central for no sleep, shattering millennial misconceptions.
2: Today we decide to walk to school. The so light counted. 15, 14,
3: 31?
2: I mean, 13? We took, took a left, left on, on Carroll Street. Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized, realized that he that forgot school. his homework. I, I hope, hope I he doesn't have another bad day at school.
4: When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council.
2: Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Having trouble finding Connor's middle school?
0: Would you like directions? No. Why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm I'm tired of fighting with him over
2: homework. Home walk restaurant need a review. No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Ah, good.
0: Finding best potatoes for French fries. No! Russet, fingerling, Yukon gold. Why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting
2: to understood.org.
4: For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. Explore understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life understood.org because understanding is everything
2: brought to you by understood.org and the ad council
3: when we say the cwr talk network is not just another talk radio network it's not just cliche It's more than a slogan. It's our identity as America's voice for championing important causes and issues like reading literacy. Host and producer Joanne Burrow tackles this issue in a number of ways on her show, Read, 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 the first and third Saturday of each month, 12 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time. Read, Read, Read is more than a program. It is an initiative started by Ms. Burrow to attack the problem of reading literacy and reading proficiency with the ultimate goal of expanding the program to include mentors to help students with not only reading skills, but also life skills. She also invites interesting guests to come on her program to discuss their challenges with reading, as well as their joy and appreciation of reading. Some of the guests are authors who discuss their books and offer their insight into the importance of reading and being good readers. Join Joanne the first and third Saturday of every month at 12 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time for Read, 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 exclusively on your network for causes, issues, and life empowerment, the CWR Talk Network. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network, hashtag one million strong.
0: Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are wrapping up our topic on millennials and the economy let me just give you the call-in number real real quick. That's nine one seven eight eight nine eight zero seven eight. So before we were go before we went to a break, we were talking about how millennials are in a position where we have to start taking ownership of our place within the economy and our finances and financial literacy around you know in in all of this. <laughs> And I wanted to talk a little bit about millennials not wanting to work in one environment for too long or job hopping. There is a lot of controversy around, like, millennials cutting out of jobs quickly. They don't want to stick around at the same job for years like their parents or grandparents did. But it seems that now the type of jobs that – They had back then with the benefits that they have aren't here and available for us. And if they are, they're still occupied by the people who got those, the boomers that got those jobs when they became available, or at least in my experience. In public service and working in nonprofits, a lot of the good positions where you would be able to make a lot of – or a decent salary, a comfortable salary, they're hoarded – by people who've been in those positions 20, 30-plus years who may not necessarily even be as efficient at those jobs as they may have been in the years prior, but they aren't willing to step down from those positions. And so it's kind of hard for us to even find positions where we are able to feel secure so I don't know. I guess that that's what bothers me about right now, like being a young woman and trying to climb the corporate ladder. It just it seems hard when there are people who are already there who might even feel intimidated by the innovation that younger generations have to bring and have to offer. And I think we we may or may not have a caller. Um <laughs> I'll let Norvell handle that. But until then, yeah, so the economy and job hopping. Is it job hopping if we don't feel secure? Should places of employment be looking for ways to entice millennials to stay as they did with our forebears, with the generations that came before us? They were lured in by the health benefits and pensions that they are still holding on to now and increasing their time at their places of employment to secure. But we don't have access to that. And I guess we're still waiting for the caller.
1: So we do have the caller on the line, Sandra. I'm a patch man right now. Okay caller. can you hear us? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, go ahead with your question or comment. Uh,
4: yeah, so just I guess continuing on that whole um, job hopping notion, I think it's really weird uh, that it hasn't adapted to a new generation. So I guess what I mean by that is uh, when I talk to older people, usually people who are like 10 years older than me, I'm 28, 10 years or older usually, they they usually say something like, well, why are you not staying these jobs longer? Why are you not, um, you know, kind of finding some complacency with where you are in your career and trying to build wealth, all that stuff? Well, I think what they don't realize is a lot of those jobs that I had to take were like, I don't know, in my personal experience, uh, just didn't pay you well enough. A lot of them were like nine, $10 an hour. You can only do it for a certain amount of time before you're just kind of like, okay, well, I got to go on to the next thing that's going to pay me a little bit better. And I wish that, um, there's a little bit more understanding from people in older generations that uh, what we're getting paid is not anywhere near what they got paid with a, a college degree because I do have a college degree and I'm working on a master's now and you know years of experience in my field and I still have to kind of scrape the barrel for a decent job and not only that it's you know months applying to get these positions that may pay me you know 13 14 an hour and it's, it's ridiculous to me that um, someone could say, well you should you should stop moving around so much because it looks bad on your resume. I mean, I just think it's an odd concept. I kind of feel like that's something that needs to adapt to the twenty first century or at least to this generation that is i don't know there' just foster some sense of understanding between the two groups. I think that a lot of them probably got out of school and were earning you know thirty five to you know, between 30 and 35K off jump, and it was a job they were locked into for years, and they had security. They started building wealth immediately because they got life insurance plans, and they started uh, building their retirement immediately. Uh, A lot of people in my generation, from what I've been able to observe, we don't really get to do that right off the bat. We have to kind of scrape our knees for a couple of years and do a bunch of jobs that just really are honestly beneath our capacity at that point, but that's just what we're offered. And I just think it's crazy. Like, we're taking a pre- professionalism class the next semester at the Clinton School, and I just think it's odd that, you know, the first comment that my dean made was like, you may, you've worked a lot of jobs. That looks bad though, because it looks like you're job hopping. And it's what else do I do? You know, that's survival. And you, know, you talked about it earlier how our parents worked paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's what we're doing, but I don't think that we're doing it because we want to do it. I think that a lot of people in my generation do it because it's a necessity, because it's all that's offered, particularly in a you know, a, a mid-sized city like Little Rock, and you're working in a kind of a smaller arena-like nonprofit. You're definitely going to be constrained a lot more than other people. But I don't know. I'd like to hear what you guys think about that.
2: Well, Thank
1: you for your uh, comment, definitely. Um, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, With your comments and everything we were we were really talking about because uh, as I said earlier the jobs aren't there so for millennial to have to Mm -hmm. work you know jobs just to survive that kind of equates to them job hopping until they find you know that career stream or that role that's going to give them the stability and upward mobility that we require you know we need to find roles or jobs that matches our debt and when I say debt I'm not saying you know people have gone out and you know, spend thousands of dollars on clothes and shoes and cars, but I'm saying, like, you know, educational debt. That's why I was saying Mm -hmm. earlier that, you know, education is a business, and, you know, people are making money off of us, and the jobs aren't here, so when we graduate, we can't find the role, so we end up working, you know, kind of a more menial job, you know, just to survive, And, and we're always chasing after that career, so that equates to job hopping. So, you know, I wish there was a lot more understanding as well, you know, I wish there were a lot more, you know, baby boomers and, you know, kind of older generations that could understand that. But, again, things were a lot different back then. So I, I totally understand your per- perspective on that, caller. And uh, thank you for that. Uh, Shandra, did you, did you want to chime in on that as well?
0: I mean, I I just agree with everything that the both of you say. Like, we, where are the jobs that match our debts? <laughs> we definitely have got to consider that – Nine ten dollars an hour at 25 hours a week is not going to pay my housing costs, it's not going to pay for a single parent to take care of their children, especially if they make too much and aren't able to get on government assistance. Even if they like, and people don't want to go there, not everybody wants to have to depend on the government, even though, you know, we pay into the government so that they'll be there in our times of need. Not everybody wants to have to go to the unemployment line because they can't find a good job once they've graduated from college or their job downsized and now they don't have anywhere to work. There are so many things that have to be fixed, and so much of the blame is just falling on us for not being, not being where our grandparents were when they were our age. Yet, as we've discussed tonight, we weren't given those same opportunities or at least not at the same rates. And so, yeah, I'm, I think we had a good talk tonight. you have anything else you want to add, Norvell?
1: No, I think it was a great discussion today. Uh, I hope that we, you know, kind of shed a little bit more light on millennials and where we fall into this economy. Um, And, and, you know, my last little tidbit would be for millennials to really task themselves with, with, you know, kind of building some some, uh, financial acumen and really growing outside of this economy because there are opportunities. We just have to go out and seek that knowledge.
0: I totally agree. Well, all right. Thanks for the great show tonight, and we will catch up with you next week.